If you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, which is where we will spend our time together today. Luke chapter 11, if you don't have a Bible, there is one provided for you in the pew in front of you. And if you're using one of the black ones, you'll find Luke 11 on page 869. The chapter numbers are the big numbers. The verse numbers are the little numbers, and we'll be reading from verse 5 all the way down to verse 13. Last week, the Lord taught us how to pray, and this week, the Lord Jesus continues His teaching on prayer and teaches us why we should pray. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read verses 5 down to 13, pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. And then we will work our way through this passage a little bit at a time. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, Will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, we bow before you, humbled by your kindness in our lives to gather us here this morning, granting to us life and another opportunity to open your word and to read about your son. Holy Spirit, will you come and will you help us understand your word? Father, your son promised that if we ask for your Holy Spirit, you will give him. So we're asking you now, please give us your Holy Spirit. Amen. John was in every sense a wretched man, a ship captain, a human trafficker in the African slave trade. But that's not how his mother raised him. As a child, John's mother taught him the Westminster Catechism 
and the hymns of Isaac Watts. At the age of 11, John's mother died, and John joined his seafaring father. And so John's formative years were formed by sailors and the sea. And as a teenager, John abandoned the God of his mother, and he lived the dissolute life of an 18th century sailor. In the spring of 1748, John's ship encountered a great storm. He awoke in the night to find his room filling with water. He worked the pumps for hours and took the helm and tried to save the ship. And the storm raged on. By evening of the next day, the storm had weakened And the exhausted sailor prayed to God for mercy. He knew that he did not have faith that God would hear him. And he wondered to himself how he might obtain such faith. And that day, John found a Bible. And he fell upon Luke chapter 11, verse 13, which we have just read. If ye then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And John spent the rest of that voyage reading the Bible, praying that God would show him mercy and praying that God would give him the Holy Spirit. And God did. Some years later, John wrote about this. I was answered, he said. I had a satisfactory evidence in my own mind of the truth of the gospel. I stood in need of an almighty Savior, and such a one I found described in the New Testament. I heartily renounced my former profaneness and was sincerely touched with a sense of the undeserved mercy I had received. I was sorry for my past missed spent life and purposed an immediate reformation. I was quite freed from the habit of swearing, which seemed to have been as deeply rooted in me as a second nature. He was raised by sailors, after all. And thus, John said, to all appearance, I was a new man. The Holy Spirit continued to work in this new man, convicting him of his sins, He eventually abandoned the slave trade and joined William Wilberforce in the fight to abolish slavery. And for the rest of his life, John Newton never lost a sense of God's amazing grace, which had saved a wretch like him. And he wrote about that too, in that most loved of hymns, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, That Saved a Wretch Like Me. In the passage before us this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ tells his disciples why they should pray. And now, having been taught how to pray, here he tells them why to pray. And the reason he gives is that God is a most willing and most generous father who gives his children exactly what they need. And that is the big idea 
this morning. Persist in prayer. Because God is a good provider who always gives what we need. Amazing grace for wretches like us. There are three parts to this passage which will serve as the outline of our time together. The first part in verses 5 to 8, we have a parable of impudent prayer. A parable of impudent prayer. The second part, which appears in verses 9 and 10, we have a promise for persistent prayer. A promise for persistent prayer. And then last, in verses 11 to 13, we have the provider of perfect provision. The provider of perfect provision. So let's read verses 5 to 8 again. The parable of impudent prayer. Jesus said to the disciples, remember he's teaching them how to pray. Jesus said to the disciples, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot give up, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Well, now that you know how to pray, you should know why to pray. And the Lord starts this teaching off with a, with a parable of sorts. Now, parables are stories that teach a lesson. And this kind of parable is a bit different than other parables that we've encountered in the Gospel of Luke. We'll call this kind of a parable a how much more kind of parable. So if this is true over here to a lesser degree, how much more is it true over here to a greater degree? That's the form of this parable, which I trust you'll see as we work through it. The situation that Jesus asks his disciples to imagine is one where a friend has, uh, another friend has come to him on, on a journey. He's taken a long journey and he's come to his home and his friend is hungry and he has no bread in the bread drawer to feed his friend. And this is a rather desperate situation for this man. This is a an honor culture in those days. You have to understand, first century Palestine, hospitality was a very great virtue. So if you had a friend show up at your place, it was expected that you would provide food for your friend or, and the lodging for your friend if they needed it. And to not be able to do this for your friend would have brought shame upon your home. And so this man is in a desperate situation. There are no bread shops open this time of night. And so this desperate man does the only thing he can think of, and he goes to another one of his friends in the middle of the night, and he asks him to lend him three loaves of bread. Now, this kind of thing would have been pretty audacious. It would have been that way then. It, it is that way now. Someone shows up at some of y'all's house in the middle of the night, unannounced. They're likely to find themselves at the business end of a double-barreled shotgun. And so this boy is taking a risk. He's breaking social convention. 
Before I was a preacher, I managed a retail store, and if the security alarm went off in the middle of the night because either someone broke into the store or the air conditioner blew a sign and set off the motion detectors, they would call, and guess who they called? They called the police, and they called the store manager. And if the store manager's phone just so happened to have died or wasn't being charged, the police would show up at the store manager's house to find out where he is. And the store manager would be woken suddenly to find somewhat annoyed uniformed police officers putting their mag lights through his windows. It's startling to get woke up in the middle of the night. It's disorienting. And so let's cut a little slack for this man's sleepy friend. I mean, there are certain times of the night when most of us are barely even Christian. The sleepy man gets woke and he refuses to grant his friend's request like four times. He seems like he's finding every reason to not get out of bed. He's like, leave me alone. The door's shut and I don't want to open it because to open it, I'd have to get out of bed and I don't want to get out of bed. And my kids are in bed and I don't want to step on the cat and wake them up. So go away. I can't help you. In those days, uh, most homes were single room. Kids would sleep on the mats on the floor, which is amazing to me that there were even kids at all. <laughs> Let the reader understand. So this sleepy man's love for his friend is not motivation enough to cause this man to get out of bed and to help him. But something is. And that something is what the ESV translates as impudence. Now, some of your translations will use the word importunate or persistence or boldness. The, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the word that is used here doesn't really have an English equivalent. The word conveys Shameless persistence, like a lack of sensitivity to what is proper. This man is acting in a way that ignores convention. It's probably close to what we mean when we say the nerve of that guy. It's a bold bothering of your buddy for bread in the middle of the night. It is audacious. In Jesus' parable, the desperate man prevails over his sleepy friend through his shameless, audacious, and well, let's just say it, annoying persistence. So impudence is probably the best word that we have to describe what is happening here. Jesus is basically saying the man won't get out of bed because he loves his friend, but he will get out of bed because his friend is really annoying. And he'll give him whatever he needs to get him to go away. Here's the point that Jesus is making about prayer. That if a man is willing to get up in the middle of the night to get an annoying friend to go away, how much more our generous heavenly father who never sleeps is willing to answer the prayers of those who come to him in faith. So you see, Jesus is not comparing 
God the Father with the sleepy man. He's contrasting the two. God is not sleepy, nor is God annoyed by his children requesting things of him. The Bible teaches that God is most willing, most generous as a giver. He loves to give whatever is needed to those who come to him in prayer. And we know that's what Jesus means because of what he says next. Ask, seek, and knock. This is verses 10, the promise of persistent prayer. Jesus says, so I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. A lot has been written about Jesus stacking these verbs on top of each other. We won't strain the point, but there are a couple of interesting things to draw out of the Lord's language here. And the first is that these words are progressive in, shall we say, their urgency, their intensity. To ask simply means to make a humble but earnest request. To seek means to look for something with some intensity. So it pictures a person who asks for something and then goes looking for that thing. Knock means to pound upon the door until someone answers. So the first thing is that these verbs seem to increase in their intensity. Ask, seek, knock. And the second thing is that these verbs appear in the present active imperative form, which indicates that these actions are continuous. So it could be translated Keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. The Lord is speaking to a certain persistence in prayer. Like the man who wouldn't leave his buddy's house until he let him raid his pantry. The Lord is telling the disciples, be persistent in prayer. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. And so you should be wondering, if God is not like that sleepy man, if God is not slow or reluctant to answer the prayers of his children, well, then why would Jesus ask the disciples to persist in prayer to him? Good students of the Bible ask good questions like that. Why persist in prayer to a God who is willing to give? Do we really have to wear God down with our prayers? Do we have to wring God's provision out of him like water out of a damp towel? Well, good students of the Bible also keep reading. Consider how many times, Pickle Baptist, in these two verses that your Lord promises that God will answer 
prayer. Look at the repetition of the word will. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who seeks will find. Everyone who knocks will have the door opened. What a glorious promise. And in the light of such a promise, again, why call the disciples to persistence in prayer? Why would they need to persist if God is so willing to answer? Well, think about it. What is prayer? Last week, we put a definition on prayer. We said that prayer is the soul's open admission of its complete dependence upon God, driven by the expectation that He can and that He will do what is right and good toward us in the world. Prayer is the soul's open admission of its dependence upon God. And so could it be that the reason the Lord calls His people to persistence in prayer is because they constantly forget their dependence upon him. Just imagine the havoc that would be wreaked upon your soul if God were to immediately answer every one of your prayers in exactly the way you want them answered. How long do you suppose it would take for you to lose every sense of the awe of God? How long before you completely abandon your worship of him and begin treating him as if he were a genie in a lamp? A day? Maybe less? Were God to answer every request exactly as you want, you would start thinking you are God, wouldn't you? You would no sooner worship him than you worship a credit card. And you turn into that hideous girl from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. What was her name? Veruca Salt or something. Demanding of her father. I want it now. So church, this means that God's seeming slowness to answer your prayers is never reluctance. It's never unwillingness. No, God's seeming reluctance to answer your every request exactly as you want is an expression of His love. It is a protection of your soul, a quieting of the sirens appealing to the lust of your flesh. Because what if, what if the eternal reward for persisting in prayer is greater than the answer to that prayer? What if 
the eternal reward for persisting in prayer is greater than the answer to the prayer. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Because you know your God will give you exactly what you need. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks find, finds. And everyone who knocks will have the way opened. God loves to give his children exactly what they need. And he always does. Does this mean that you can ask your God for anything you want? Yes. Does it mean that you will get everything that you ask for? No. But you know that you will get exactly what you need. Now understand that verse 10 is not carte blanche for anything that you want. We have to pay attention to context. So imagine if you took your 16-year-old son to Susie's Big Dipper for his 16th birthday. And you told your 16-year-old son, happy birthday, order whatever you want. Your son can't go to the counter and say, I'll have a 2023 Porsche 911 GT3 with the flat six. You know, and he knows that order whatever you want means order whatever you want on the menu. Because context matters. And the context of the Lord telling the disciples, ask whatever you want and it will be granted to you, is verses 2 to 4, the Lord's Prayer. And do you remember how Jesus taught the disciples to pray? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, God's priorities, God's provision, God's pardon, God's protection. Ask for that and you will receive. So there is a promise given to persistent prayer, and it is that God will give us what we need, not always what we want and not always what we think we need, but what we actually need. And so let's be honest with ourselves. Who knows what we need better? Us or the one who inhabits eternity, who knows all things beginning to the end? Well, I think you know the answer to that question. But if you don't, Jesus tells us exactly what we need in the last few verses of this passage. Verse 11 to 13, the provider of perfect provision. He repeats a similar thing. I don't know if I'd call this a parable, but it's, it's like a parable. He says, what father among you if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So verses 11 to 13 are very similar to verses 5 and 8. What father among you is very similar to which of you? In verse 5, it's the same rhetorical device 
It's another how much more kind of statement. Jesus is teaching the disciples that God the Father always gives his children what is best for them. So what father who asks for a fish will give his son a serpent? Serpents aren't good. They're dangerous. No father would purposefully give his child something that would hurt her. If his son asks for an egg, he's not going to give them a scorpion. And you get the point. Fathers don't always say yes to their kids. Sometimes they say no. And when fathers say yes to their kids, and when fathers say no to their kids, both times, it's for their good. Because they love their kids. And then comes the main point of the whole passage in verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, then how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I mean, it's a bit of an absurd comparison, and I think it's meant to be. A father, even an evil man, could give good gifts to his children because he loves them. They're his children. And the heavenly Father will give the perfect and good gift to his children because he is infinitely good. He will give them everything they need. Everything they need. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, illustrates this principle. Psalm 37, verse 4, you probably know this. The psalmist says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see what the psalmist is saying there? When your heart delights in the Lord, he'll give you anything you want. Because what does a heart whose delight is in the Lord want? It was the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and ask for anything you want. For Christmas one year, Sarah bought me a t-shirt with a quote from St. Augustine that said, love God and do whatever you please. Augustine was saying that when you love God, you are going to do whatever pleases him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And you're going to ask God for things that work for his glory. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You're going to ask your God to make much of himself, which is the thing he wants, and it has become the thing that you want. And when you ask for it, God says, yes, anything you want. And so verse 13 fills in the blank about what it is that we need most. What will the Father give to those who ask he will give himself. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The greatest gift God gives us through prayer is himself.
You know, Jesus didn't die on the cross ultimately to save you from your sins. Hear me out. The gospel, the goal of the gospel, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper every Sunday, the free gift of God's salvation through grace, is not mainly about forgiving you of your sins. The ultimate goal of the gospel is to give you God. It's to give you the Holy Spirit. Your sin separated you from your God and the cross was to erase what separated you and to join you together. It was to erase the barrier between the two of you so that you might be brought to God. This, this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, listen to this, so that he might bring us to God. That's the goal of the cross. It's to give you himself. Jesus suffered the penalty of your sin so that he might bring you to God. Cleansed of your sins. Wrapped in the righteous robes of Christ. To the praise of his glorious grace. So you see what Jesus is teaching us in verse 13. He's teaching us that every time God says yes to your prayer. Every time God says no to your prayer. Every time God says later to your prayer. He is doing so to give you what you need most, namely himself. What do you need most? You need him. You need the indwelling spirit of God in your life. So whether God says yes to the thing you pray for, or whether God says no, or whether God says maybe later, He's giving you himself, which is what you need most. So whether you're a Christian, or whether you're an unbeliever here with us today, what you need most in your life is God, the Holy Spirit. My non-believing friend, can I encourage you to do what John Newton did? To begin to pray to God for mercy for your sins. To begin to ask God to give you the Holy Spirit. Friend, repent of your sins. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter who you are or what you have done. When you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be pardoned of those sins and you will be brought to God. United to God, the Son, Jesus Christ, and granted eternal life. Do that today. Christian, what do you need most? The same thing. God, the Holy Spirit. Keep asking for God, the Holy Spirit. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. 
We need to keep asking and seeking and knocking because we keep needing the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and comfort us and remind us of God's glory and declare Christ to us. This is why we pray, because God loves to give himself to his people. And he is never bothered by you or your prayers. And your prayers don't have to be perfect for them to be effective. They just have to be prayed to the right person. He does not weary of you coming to him. He is not like an earthly father whose resources are limited, whose patience is thin. God is our Father. He is the I Am, the self-existent one. He's without beginning or end. There is no one better and no one better can be conceived of. He is absolute being, the fundamental essence. He is the irreducible necessary, the only necessary. He is perfect. He cannot grow or improve or change. He depends on no one and upon no thing. And all things depend on him. And when you pray, you acknowledge this about him. You acknowledge that he is the creator of all things. He is the rewarder of those who seek him. When you pray, you acknowledge that you are creature and he is creator. You acknowledge that you are wholly and fully dependent upon him. And grace is from him and it's what you need. When you pray, you act in obedience to your savior who told you, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you listen to Jesus closely in Matthew 11, he's saying, come to me, and I will give you me. Baptist, he is what we need most. So keep coming, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Come with faith-filled expectation that he will give you exactly what you need. He will give you himself. And when you see this, persistence in prayer becomes easy. It becomes a joy even. Because when you know what God is giving you, when you come to him in prayer is himself, he'll just want to keep coming. When you pray, forgive us our sins, it's because you're asking him to remove from your life anything that would smother your enjoyment of him. When you pray, give us our daily bread, it's because you want to enjoy his provision as one way to enjoy him as provider. It works just in the same way as when you enjoy a good meal and give credit to the one who cooked it and give glory to their ability. When you are enjoying God's good provision in your life, if you enjoy just the thing for the thing itself, you're an idolater. But if you enjoy the thing for the sake of God, you are a worshiper. So when you pray, 
pray that God would give you himself. When God tells you no, when God tells you not now, you get to enjoy his gift of sustaining grace while you wait for him, finding contentment in him. Because at the end of the day, if you are in Christ, he's what you want anyway. And the worst possible thing that God could do for you is give you the thing you want without giving you himself. I wonder if that's what Jesus meant when he talked about the Pharisees. They pray these long prayers so that they may be seen and heard by others. And Jesus said, I tell you, they've received their reward. Come to God on behest of the Lord Jesus and on behest of a fellow wretch and hear the sweet sounds of God's amazing grace. For in John Newton's own words, the Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God, who called me here below, will be forever mine. Let's pray. Father, your name is great. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. We confess, Lord, that our understanding of prayer is lacking. And we are thankful to you for teaching us. We confess, Lord, that our prayers are often too small. They end on the thing. Rather than ending through the thing on you. Will you forgive us for depending too much upon ourselves and too little upon you? And will you give us your Holy Spirit? Jesus promised that you will. Fill us anew and send us from this place delighting in the Lord and eager to do his will. And out of the abundance and satisfaction in him, make us faithful proclaimers and representatives of Christ. It's for his glory we pray. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. One of the more important parts of our services every Sunday is to read and hear an assurance of pardon. For those of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, your assurance of pardon today comes from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way 
and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly 